Uh, good morning, men. How you doing? 6 a.m. I get it. I get it. Um, guys, I'm really eager to get into this topic today. I mean, so far as we've gone through this book, Habits of Grace, you know, we've, we've covered kind of part one is hear his voice, right? So we talked about the, the importance of just getting the word and receiving the word and hearing the word and studying the word, reading the word. We talked about the importance of meditation. So that was kind of in the, the hear his voice section. Uh, last week, we talked about having his ear. So we talked about the importance of prayer, and Mark and Jordan did an awesome job. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the habit of grace, of belong to his people. That's where we're at today, belong to his people. And guys, I'm really eager to talk about this. Maybe you've even like, caught the trend by now. It seems like every time that we get the opportunity as a church to look into the importance of community, Jake often hands this one to me, just because he knows, out of my own personal life story, guys, nothing has shaped me more. No habit of grace has shaped me more than just the, the gift and the grace of God's people. I was led to Christ through God's people. I was a 15-year-old freshman at Valley High School up in Northeast Iowa. Uh, not Des Moines Valley, if you're aware of that one. These are like polar opposites. They have lots of money and are very big. This one we had like running sewage like onto our football field. That was where I was at. It's like a pasture. Um, but as a, as a freshman, a guy named Shane Roethlisberger began to just speak truth into my life. And I wasn't one of those quick converts. I was pretty resistant. Uh, but over the course of a year, both with gospel proclamation and even more powerfully with just the demonstration of the gospel in his life and in our friendship as he just continued to pursue me, though I didn't deserve it, the gospel began to take root in my life and change me. As I began to walk with Christ, I began to realize I was also benefiting from just the prayers of God's people. I started to hear stories about my great-grandparents and my grandparents and how they had daily prayed for me for years to come to know Christ. There was numbers of people that as it became known in my small town that I'd given my life to Christ that would come up and say, we've been praying for you for years. It's just humbling. So I was led to Christ by God's people. As God's people that have been praying for me for years, I was discipled by God's people. In those years, it was Shane Roethlisberger, that was the guy who led me to Christ, and then Mike Easton, who discipled me and poured into me. I think of Steve Carlson, our town vet, that poured into us all and, and, and shaped us, never got paid a dollar for that, just, just opened up his home to just invest in us. So it's what gave me a passion when I went off to Iowa State that I was going to be a, a seed salesman and have a job like that in a community and just share the gospel with teenagers. That's what I was really passionate about. And, and uh, Troy kind of threw a little detour in there. You heard that story yesterday. But then went to college. I think of guys like Andrew Weiss and Paul Sabino and Jeff Dodge. And like I said, Troy Nesbitt, that just poured into me. So I was discipled by God's people. It's been God's people that have made life more fun in the times of just like delight. You know, as, as God blessed our family with kids or... We saw God do things in the ministries that we were leading together or somebody coming to Christ. That when I was sharing that joy with somebody else, it's like what that chapter talked about, that it was like a double joy. You know, it's God's people that made things even more joyful. It was also uh, God's people that often rescued me from just the pit of despair. I, I remember one time where uh, probably for about two or three days straight, guys, this is no exaggeration, 
uh, I was kind of on again, off again, just weeping over just some hardships I was walking through in life in relation to just life and ministry. And for those of you who know Stan Hayek, in that season, um, he was closer to me than a brother. I remember him sitting in my office and just repeating over and over again what was true. Like a guy was holding a lifeline, just keeping me from the pit of despair. I probably wouldn't be here without him today. It's been God's people that have provided for me rest and refreshment in times that I needed that. And it was God's people who have pushed me to not just settle for like a normal Christian life, but have pushed me for a more radical Christian life. And so, guys, when we get into this habit of grace and we're talking about the importance of belonging to his people, as I, I stand here today, it's just like this is just my testimony. This is just like the phrase that often comes with us, and, and maybe you've heard me use this phrase before, but guys, I am what I am by the grace of God. But in a very powerful and maybe even like another very real way, I am what I am because of God's people. And so that's what makes me eager to talk about this. And so as I share my story, and I, I kind of list off all these names and key figures, it's, it's likely that your story is not the same as mine, but I'm guessing it's similar. So here's what I'd like to do. I, I want to kick it back to the tables, and I want to give you the next 10 minutes. So, so here at about 6.20 or so, I'd love for you just to go around the table. Be mindful of the time, so don't, don't hog all of it yourself. But just go around the table and share how has God used people in your life? And if you can, just use some names and specific instances. But this would be the, that question, right? Describe how God has used people in your life. If possible, name names and speak of specific times and circumstances. And that'll kind of just prime the pump for where we're going today. All right? You got 10 minutes. Enjoy it, fellas. Good morning. All right, gents, I'm going to pull it in. I'm going to pull it in. And uh, men, before we, before we dive in together, I'd love to just pray and uh, specifically just thank God for the names that you just mentioned. I didn't get a chance to hear them all, obviously, but just to thank God for them. Uh, Father, thank you so much for overwhelming us with just good gifts. Scripture tells us that every good gift comes down from, from you. And uh, recognize every one of these names, every one of these people, uh, even regardless of where they are at now, uh, were a grace gift, a critical person in our life, maybe for a season, or maybe they're still walking with us. We just want to say thank you for them. And God, we pray that, God, you'll continue to provide those people as we continue to walk in life at critical moments. Um, also allow us to be that for other people. God, thank you so much for even just the encouragement of being in this room this morning, just seeing a group of guys hungry to pursue you, uh, to lean in together at 6 a.m. on a Monday morning. Uh, it's, it's a delight, Lord. And so thank you for all of these great things. And we love you. And collectively just want to ask, God, that as we sit here eager and hungry this morning for your presence and for Lord, you just to teach us, I pray that we would receive from you today. And God, you would fill us up and send us out of here. Amen. <clears throat> Guys, I want to do just a, a little review. I've had to do this a few times in reading the book. Just go back to the whole point of this book in general, right? That even the, the concept of habits of grace, or when he talks about means of grace, to remind ourselves what he's talking about. 
I found a definition on page 27 that was helpful for me, but you have to read the footnotes to get it. As far as like, what, what does habits of grace mean or these means of grace? Like, what does it mean? And the way that he defines it is these habits of grace are promised pathways of blessing. These are promised pathways of blessing. So when we're talking about prayer and fasting and meditation and Bible study and all of that, we're not talking about trying to earn God's affections. We already have that fully in Christ. That is already secure for us. God has unshakable feelings about us. But when you start talking about habits of grace or these means of grace, what you're talking about now is God saying, yes, but if you want all that I have for you as a Christ follower, these are the promised pathways of blessing. So don't think of it as a duty, but as this beautiful delight that sits before you of, of, of why wouldn't I then want prayer to define my life? And opening God's word and hearing from him be a part of my life and fasting to be a healthy part of my life and belonging to God's people as a part of my life. I, I love that, that phrase, promised pathways of blessing. That's what we're talking about when we dive into this. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful for this book. I, Jake knows I've become a big proponent of this book. I, I, I love the content of it. I'd never read it before three weeks ago. And what I love in particular, specifically as we get into this topic today, is I've, I've read this, maybe my fourth or fifth book I've read on, on disciplines. And I've always walked away from, from the other books frustrated because I think there's just an overemphasis on the personal disciplines of establishing patterns of prayer and Bible study and even silence, solitude, simplicity, all of those things, but never getting into this type of thing. But what about the corporate disciplines? I think, I think both sides matter. And, and he even refers to this, this is on page 148, when he refers to community as kind of the forgotten middle child. Maybe you caught that. And I think that's true in a lot of books that you read. And so I'm really grateful that he, he, give, he devotes a significant portion of this book to corporate disciplines, the type of stuff that we should be doing together as we delight in God together. And I, I can't help but think that, that as I read those and I reflect back on those other disciplines books, that that maybe has negatively impacted our American Christianity. Maybe it's a reflection of it or it's part of the root problem where we often think of our faith as a personal thing and too personal of a thing. And I begin to wonder, like, how many sins in the lives of our people, I say that not just about Kendale Church, I say about like the church broader than that, like, but the sins that exist within the lives of our people is just the reflection of a lack of genuine community. Environments where people are being encouraged, challenged, corrected, loved, walked along beside. Because I think this is an incredibly important topic for us to walk through. So I'm just going to walk through just, just real quick, kind of like five, like real quotable parts of the, this whole section. I just want to do a big overview, and then we're going to drill down deep in just one particular thing today. And so if these parts aren't currently highlighted in your books, make sure you, you get them there. So this would be the first one. I thought this was awesome. Page 146. Just a good reminder for us. True fellowship not only labors to win the lost, but it serves to keep the fellow saints saved. I've now been walking with Christ about 18 years. 
And guys, I, I, even as I've, I've now led in connection group environments for about 14, 15 years, uh, our connection group and my heart toward connection groups has become more and more simple, not complex. When that, that group gathers in our house on Tuesday nights, I look at that group and I'm like, this feels a bit like, like CPR. And I don't want to make it sound like too dire or whatever, but it's like, this group just keeps my heart beating for Jesus. That's why we're continuing to meet together. Not that I'm, I need to be rescued, whatever, but like this, this, this fellowship is just essential just to keep my heart beating for Jesus and to keep it from getting hard because I know it can. And so each week I'm confessing sin and inviting people in to speak into my life and, and to do that with other people. It's just become that, that thing. And, I, and I, that's why that hit me so hard, but it serves to keep the fellow saints saved. Um, this might have been the most convicting part because I'm not a good listener, but he got into that section and he quoted Bonhoeffer on this. I thought this was powerful. He talked about half-eared listening, and he says this is, it despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. I had to like repent a lot after reading that for the numbers of times I have wished the other person away in conversations because of the way that I was, where my mind was at and what I was thinking about and what I wanted to say and that whole thing, and it's terrible. So I loved that challenge to be a good listener. That was, that was beautiful. Uh, I love this section. <clears throat> I'm talking about the essential lifelines of corporate worship and teaching, and there's so much more I would love to un- unpack there and get into Colossians 3 and all this stuff, but I thought this, this particular thing was real good in contrast to personal devotions and private worship, which can be so um, me-driven and all that. He, he says corporate worship, and I would add teaching, so it kind of brings both those sections in. Corporate worship demands that we discipline ourselves to respond, not only pursue God on our own terms. It is an opportunity to embrace being led and not always taking the lead. I think many can walk into Kendeo Church and be disappointed because we're teaching Hebrews something and not something that they're like, but that, that doesn't feel like what I wanted to hear today. And I go, well, who, who decides that and what's best for you to hear today? And if we're always chasing what you think you need to hear, do we actually allow God just to speak? Yeah. I thought that was, that was beautiful. I thought this was good in speaking about uh, these visible words or the dramatizations of God's grace, talking about baptism and communion. But they engage not only our ears, but all five senses, sound, sight, touch, smell, and taste. Alongside preaching, they reveal to us again and again the heart of the gospel we profess and aim to echo in our lives. As in September, so... Real soon, once we get past the Hebrew series, we're going to have two weeks. We're going to grab selected texts and teach through them. Then after that, we're going to do a, a kind of a church, like this is the church series. Um, and in there, we're going to talk, like one week we're going to talk specifically about baptism. One week we're going to talk about communion. And after reading that section, it made me even more eager just to unpack that with our people. But I thought that was a beautiful uh, quote and reminder. And then I don't have a quote here. Uh, again, I, I said, if you don't have these sections uh, highlighted in your book, you should do that. Uh, I think I would just take that entire chapter on the blessing of rebuke and just like circle the whole thing if I 
could for you. So like maybe just star <laughs> that one. Uh, that, that for me was, was beautiful. It, it just brought to mind just that question, you know, like how is it that God most often seems to challenge us in our faith? Most often it seems to be through other people. And I thought that was a great section just of like how to re- give a rebuke and how to receive it. And I, I love that. I love that. So here's the thing, guys. I, I found myself as, as I wanted to, to bring something to you today, like going through the section and thinking, okay, any one of those quotes we could drill down deeper into and talk about more. Um, I think when we talk about the value of community, it's not hard to get everyone in this room's like head nodding along going like, we need that. So my biggest concern today is not convincing you of the importance of this value or this, the importance of this habit of grace. My actually biggest concern is that you're going to nod your head with me and go, this is great. But for some reason, a week from now, our lives will not look any different. And so I spent all of my energy really after getting past the content of this chapter just going, what would keep us from actually as men in this room following through on this? Like, what's the barrier that's in the way. And let's just talk about that because I don't think he really gets into that at all in this section. What, what's the barrier that keeps men who value this and are nodding their head along from actually following through and doing something with this? That, that's what I want to give myself to today. So that, that's what we're going to drill in. And here's what I think is the, the barrier. I'm just going to take a jackhammer to this for like the next 10 minutes, okay? Here's the barrier that I think keeps us from actually following through on this. I think it's lack of commitment. Or I maybe throw out this word, fear of commitment, if I could challenge you as men. I think when we talk about fellowship, and when you hear somebody else talk about the friendships and relationships that they have and how they stir up their soul for Jesus, I think everyone in here wants that. And I think you all know that you want that. But I don't think you're willing to sacrifice what is necessary to get it. I think that's a fundamental issue. And here's what I mean. Here's just a list of things I put together that I would put out there. It's like, these are like evidences for me. Things that I've seen guys do, decisions that they've made, priorities that they've displayed, that for me I've just watched and I've gone... It just seems to be evidence of somebody who's like, yep, I value this more than true community. And so these might sound a bit punchy. I'm not trying to be that, but, but just hear me out. <clears throat> here's, here's something I've seen. I, I believe we value, many of us value jobs more than community. I've seen guys take new jobs for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes it's for increased pay. Sometimes it's just for a position title. It's not even increased pay. It's just the prestige of a title. And sometimes they just take a job just for the pure change. You know, we're talking about this, this generation. It used to be growing up, you know, maybe when we were in grade school, you'd hear people talk about that over the course of our working career that we would change jobs two or three times. Now they're starting to communicate. It's like, no, the, the statistics are showing that we're actually going to change careers two or three times. Well, flexibility is not a bad thing. I think there's also a level in which we're like kind of change happy people. And there's something about that that kind of keeps us moving and, and whatever. But I, I've, I've seen people change jobs and chase jobs. And I've often just gone like, did, did you stop for a moment and even ask the question what that job change is going to do to your friendships, to those essential relationships? Sometimes 
That money is a necessity for your family, and I'm not shaming you for that at all. But some, I, I, go, I go, but why? Like, at your stage, with what you're making, do you need more money? Do you need a different title? Or, or... And I think there's a value statement sometimes when we, we go down that road. I've seen people value um, proximity to their biological family over the pursuit of community. And again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I ask a question like, did it even come into the, the question at all? Well, I want to move and be closer to family, but in that they move away from essential fellowship to a place where it's like, are there people there that you're going to be able to connect with and pursue Jesus with that are going to be life-giving in that? Because again, I, I, think, I think it displays some level of, of priorities. I think even maybe for some, I've, I've seen just evidences like overprotection of like their, their immediate family, my wife and my kids, and, and, and we got these rhythms, therefore we don't have time for our connection group or for that type of fellowship because, well, th- this, this matters the most. And I'm like, yeah, but are you getting that fellowship anywhere, any way, shape, or form? Just again, looking at evidences as as I've seen it, I've I've watched guys prioritize um, pursuing kind of the dream acreage or getting some space or some amenities for the house or whatever and comforts. And so they they move there without ever thinking how that's going to impact their ability to have relationships with people. It's like, oh, I got the dream house and I got the space and I got the acreage that I want, but now I'm so far away that it's hard for people to come out and see me or me go to see them that I, I miss that. I think another one that I've, I've seen, <laughs> this one I think is, is like a classic like across-the-board guy struggle. Um, I think we value comfortable conversations over community. How many times have you purposely kept a conversation surface level to avoid talking about deeper things? And maybe you've had the excuse, well, I didn't know when the timing seemed right. I mean, everybody seemed really happy, and I didn't want to be like the Debbie Downer in the circle or whatever. But it's like, man, have you ever just... Just like in a conversation, said like, hey, can we not talk about sports today? Can we not talk about the weather? I really don't care. Um, How's your soul? We only got five minutes. How's your soul? Have you ever just blurted into a conversation and said, hey, man, I I know like these other things we could talk about, but can I just just share something with you that's just kind of weighty or something that's really exciting? I just want to pull you into. I don't know if we do that much as men. We like to keep it surface level. It's comfortable. I think another thing I've seen, this is my last thing as I kind of listed off these evidences that I've just seen that display for us what really are priorities in our life. Um, I see so many men valuing seclusion and running away from community when things are hard rather than toward community when things are hard. How many of you, married guys in the room, how many of you have missed a night at Connection Group and your reason was because you'd had a rough week in your marriage? You and your wife just weren't jiving at that moment, so you decided the better thing would be to just kind of stay home, try to figure it out, do something, but just... Or if you're single, how many of you have skipped a Connection Group or skipped an opportunity to pursue fellowship because you just kind of felt off at the time? One of the most uh, beautiful, probably awkward connection groups we ever had 
my wife and I were, were in a, a moment of just tension with each other. Um, it, it, was, it, was, uh, it was to the point where we were having a hard time even like moving forward in the conversation, you know, where you're just sitting in the room kind of looking at each other and it's just tense, right? And uh, it was 6.55 on a Tuesday night. Our connection group started at 7. And she looks at me and she goes, what are you thinking right now? And I'm like, I'm thinking I don't want anybody to come to our house right now. Like, I, I just like don't want anybody to walk through our door in five minutes. I would love to just be... And uh, she's like, all right, well, now we know what the introduction to our connection group is tonight. And there it was. It's like, okay. So everybody walked into our living room that night. I, I think, were you in our group at that, that point? I think that might have been prior to you. No, you had a rough week. That's why you went there. You, you turned? That's why I needed you that night. I needed you. No, there actually, there was another couple in our group that night, though, that was having similar stuff going on in their household, and, and they didn't come. And I remember taking that guy out for lunch that, that week, and I'm like, that's when we needed you the most. You know, like, that's, that's like we needed to be there together the most. And we just started group off just sharing, like, guys, I'll be honest, like, 10 minutes ago, this was our conversation. And so I'll just pull you into it. Um, but guys, I, I really do believe this. I really do believe that every one of us want true fellowship. We're just not willing to sacrifice what it takes to get it. Genuine fellowship requires new priorities and new commitments. If you want this, it's going to require new priorities and new commitments. It just, it just does. And so here'd be kind of my, my first question slash challenge to you. Is there somebody in your life who knows you? Is there somebody in your life that knows you? And for me, I've had to wrestle through a few of these things, but like for me, proximity matters. Like I, I can't, it, for me, it just has never worked where it's like, well, yeah, I got this friend that lives in Colorado and we call every once in a while. It's like that, that actually, that just doesn't work for me. Proximity is a huge part of genuine fellowship for me because I need somebody that I, like I'm seeing on a regular basis. They can look me in the eyes and we just talk often. As I'd ask you this question within this, like if there's somebody that knows you, um, is there anybody in your life that you've even just communicated to them that you need them to be this for you? And you're offering to give this to them. One of the things that I'm hoping, I'm going to pull back. Probably the biggest thing I'm hoping that this morning will, will stir up at least out of this room. I wish this had become a culture across our church, but guys, it would make my heart so happy if every one of you walked out of here and over the course of the next week had very awkward mandates. One of those mandate conversations where you're sitting across the table from another dude and you're looking at him going, hey, I need you to be in my life. I need you to know everything about me, for me to be just totally vulnerable with you, that we'd share all things. In fact, what I'm asking you to, to be for me is that you would be the guy that would make a commitment to me that if I ever walked away from Christ and started to go an evil and dark path, that maybe the rest of the world would give up on me and stop calling me and stop pursuing me and stop inviting me out to lunch, that you'd still be that guy. 
And that even in that time, as I'm forsaking leadership of my wife and kids, that you would then step in and continue to communicate to my wife because you love me, but you'd communicate to my wife, hey, if you need anything, we're here. And that you continue to provide the spiritual example for my kids that I'm currently not setting at that time. Will you promise me that? You know, it almost feels like you're trying to get somebody to go to prom with you, right? That type of thing. That's what I mean. Like, I would love for men to be having that conversation and then, and then back. And, and I think for many of us, guys, I'm not, I'm not like trying to like, like um, downplay the importance of like your, your marriage or even the role that your wife can play in this. But, but I've also found that like this, there needs to be a guy in the picture too that's walking along. And I just like me putting that weight on my wife to be that person for me. Do you have somebody in your life that you've made that type of commitment to that you're walking with? I think a couple of pushbacks. I'm thinking of my, my man Jason here. He'd, he'd go, man, I, I've only been coming to Kendale for a month. I don't know anybody. Okay, so I'm trying to address that one. Guys, just start somewhere. Even with an imperfect relationship, I think one of the things that hindered me in moving here was I spent so much time looking back and going, yeah, I mean, I, I like this person, but they're not like so-and-so. And yeah, it's like, just at least pick somebody and go, you know? Uh, I've now, in the course of my life, I've had three different men fill this role for me. First guy was Tad. Next guy was Shane. The next guy after that was Greg. But establishing that clarity in that relationship, defining the relationship was, was huge. Do you have anybody like that? All right, so if you're taking notes, please put this down. This is assignment one for this next week, awkward mandate, okay? You got that? Awkward mandate, okay? <clears throat> but the second thing, beyond the question of, is there anybody in your life that knows you? I then would say, is there a church in your life that knows you? And I'm being purposeful not just to insert Kendeo Church, because, guys, I'm not saying it has to be Kendeo Church. I would love for it to be Kendeo Church for you. But I'm not such a Kendeo Church homer that I, I miss the bigger picture, guys. I just want every believer to have a church that knows them. And the same way that we just talked about all that before, is there a church in your life that knows you? I, I particularly just loved that section within this, this reading of make fellowship official. Maybe you caught that. But he says this in that, that section. He's talking about the early church here. And isn't this like the church that we all want, right? But in the early church, when people didn't just drift in and out of community, but were either in or out. And those who were in pledged to be the church for each other through thick and thin Covenant community is like Christian marriage and that it is within the framework of the stated commitments and promised allegiances that life in relationship is guarded, nourished, and encouraged most to thrive. It actually starts on the bottom of page 149 and goes into page 150. But if you want to experience the fullness of all that God has for you in Christ, this is the promised pathway of blessing that you would have a committed relationship with God's people through thick and thin. It has nothing to do with whether they have the kids ministry that fits all of the needs of your family 
or whether the teaching series at that moment is hitting you perfectly. It actually has nothing to do with maybe even who's on staff. It is, it is it's more about through thick and thin, the commitment to each other. Have you made fellowship official? We need, we all need the church to be this for us. And guys, again, I think sadly, it's maybe easy for this room for our, our heads to all get nodding at this point and go like, I agree with that, I agree with that. Understand this, guys. As you go out this week and interact with the men of our church and of our community, for the vast majority, they view everything that I just said as optional. Optional in pursuing Jesus. I thought that statement right at the start of all this reading, you know, on page 145, when he says that the word fellowship has fallen on hard times. Guys, it, it really has. It really has. And I go back to that statement. I just wonder how many of the, the sins and the errors in our Christian life and community is really a result of just a lack of genuine community. What things are even existing in your life right now that you've just never invited anybody into? And if you did, it'd be the best thing that ever happened. Not because you need their affirmation or their approval or their blessing or their forgiveness or whatever, but because it begins to open you up then to the grace of God as they begin to help you get pointed to the gospel, get pointed to Christ, walk in new ways. We all want that. We all want that, guys. We do. And so I'll just give a couple of quick final words. These are kind of like tangents that I was like, I, I don't know where to insert these. I'll just throw them in there. I think... As I, think, I think just one thing I want to make clear, guys. I'm also encouraging you, not just toward awkward mandates, but if you're not a member of a church, if you're not a member particularly of Candeo Church, what's keeping you back from that commitment? All of this is what is trying to be offered to you when we say, hey, become a member of Candeo Church. Make that official. If you want to do that, we have a membership class here at the end of the month, July 30th. Just coming up. It's at your house, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. If not then, then our next classes are going to be in October and November. And so I just say put that priority there, sign up for it, read the book, get to the class, fill out the application, meet with an elder, and become a member. The second thing, because uh, I think this happens a lot, people go, well, with our commitment to, mem- to, to community and creating fellowship and, and deep relationships and all that, isn't that kind of in odds then with our, our passion for multiplication and continually splitting up and dividing out, especially as groups and connection groups multiply? Does this thing, and guys, all I would say about that is it's just one of those like tensions you have to manage. You know, where it's like, I want friendships that are tight, but those friendships also have to have movement and purpose to it. For, for my wife and I, the way that we've navigated that is, is we've said, okay, yeah, I cannot say to a group, we're going to be together forever, but I have to have at least a a person, a couple in my life that stays close to me, regardless of how we multiply or whatever, I kind of keep that person close to me. Does that make sense? It's just part of the tension to manage there. It's not a sort of a problem to solve, but it's just a tension to manage. But you can have both those things, a vision for multiplication and a commitment to deep fellowship. It's possible. And so here's where I want this to go, guys. Um, I got two discussion questions. And I'll, I'll free you up for the rest of this time just to talk about it there at the tables. Uh, goes back to the two things that I've been pushing over the last 15 minutes. 
What does your commitment to a fellow brother or brothers in Christ look like, and have you made it official? And what does your commitment to a local church look like, and have you made it official? So I'll free you up at the tables, have that conversation, and I'll, I'll wrap us up with just a time of prayer in about 20 minutes or so. Sound fair? Thanks, man. Thanks for being here. Guys, just... Just to give you like a like a like an end point, so that those that need to go, you can go. I'm gonna I want to wrap us up just in, in prayer, and then if you need to go, you can go. If you want to hang out, you can hang out. This this room's yours. But let me just uh, pray for us and thank God for this time. Um, God, thank you so much for this time together with these men and these brothers. Father, I pray that what we would celebrate in our lives when we talk about fellowship, when we talk about brotherhood, wouldn't be things of the past and say, "Well, I had, and I had." But I pray that what would mark every one of our lives in this room is what we have. And so, God, I do pray for awkward mandates. I do pray for specific action steps of membership applications. I do pray for a renewed commitment into connection groups which them and themselves, we're just checking boxes, doesn't accomplish what we're looking for here in true community. Um, and so God, I also pray for our hearts, for a commitment that doesn't just run into something because it's perfect, or doesn't just commit to it while everything seems to kind of fit what we need and everything meets expectations, but even in the midst of all of it uh, offers enough grace that even when it's not perfect and when it doesn't meet expectations to continue to lean in. Um, and I'm so thankful for the words of this book and for how you're using it to stir up these conversations in a timely manner. Help it lead to a point of application this week for us. We love you. Amen. All right, gents, you need to go. You go ahead. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.